Thank you, Steve, I think. How's everyone doing? Not a great response. It's really good to see you here today. If you're a visitor, uh, you're extremely welcome among us. Uh, let me just tell you something very quickly. Um, so this is something called Big Steps. Uh, it's not called Big Steps at all. It's called Big Questions. I'm running it. I don't know what it's called. Um, these cards are on the Connect Point. Um, says it's run by a guy called Steve Lee. I don't know who he is, but apparently he's got a warm, endearing personality and looks a lot younger than he is. Doesn't say that on the card. This is an opportunity to explore the big questions of life. So four Tuesdays starting this week, um, and there may be an extension to the program if it goes well. Sounds a bit like O2, sounds a bit like U2 at the Wembley Arena, doesn't it? You know, more dates to come. But we're going to run four Tuesdays starting this week, um, and then we're going to change gear a little bit after that and carry on. But there'll be a moment to uh, opt out of that if you want to. So it's not something you've got to sign up for for four weeks, but if you want to explore the big questions of life, then big questions is for you, and I want to personally invite you to come and join us. There'll be food as well. 7.30, we'll gather here to eat. Thank you at the back. Uh, and uh, it's going to be a great fun. And that lot at the back who are rowdy, they've all been on it. That's why they're, that's why they're shouting out. Okay, so I'd like to try and do two quick things today, if I may. The first thing I want to try and do is to capture the moment that we are in. The moment that we are in this morning for these people that are being baptised. I'll say something about that in a minute. But of course, we are in a massive moment, aren't we, as a nation? So much is going on. It was this Swiss theologian, Karl Barth, doesn't matter if you haven't heard of him. This is what he said, preach the gospel with the Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other. That's good advice right now because we are seeing so many global events take place over these last few weeks, just on the off chance that you haven't noticed. Quite a lot is going on. The BBC news flash has kind of become irrelevant, hasn't it, over the last few years? But if it hadn't been, we'd be seeing a lot of news flashes right now. But of course, because of social media, 24-hour news, we live our lives inside one gigantic news flash. And, you know, the big stories light up the little screens, and uh, we immediately find out what is happening in the world. It is remarkable, though, that th the, the things that are only considered to be worthy of coverage by Sky News and the BBC are the things that we often get to hear about. They almost tell us what the news is. C.S. Lewis, who was the author and creator of the Chronicles of Narnia, I'm a massive fan, um, he was a Christian, he made a massive contribution to the whole conversation about God and Jesus Christ and the Christian faith in our world. And uh, he died on November the 22nd, 1963, but his death was completely overshadowed as the world was shaken by the assassination of President John F. Kennedy in Dallas in the States. September the 8th, 2022, will be remembered for just one thing, even though other people passed away on that day. Families lost members of their, 
of their family, people lost members of their family, uh, all kinds of things happened, but of course, September the 8th, 2022, was rem- will be remembered only for the passing of the Queen. And that week that we all lived through, uh, centred around London especially, but also Edinburgh and other parts of the nation where uh, people were watching and connecting, and obviously thousands of people visited London over those few days. It was significant in no small part because of the Queen's devotion to Christ. It was almost like a Christian event. I don't know if you noticed that. The people that were speaking, the things that were said, the whole environment and atmosphere around that 10-day period was so Christian. This is a quote that has been attributed to Queen Elizabeth. How I wish that the Lord would come in my lifetime. For I should so love to lay my crown at his feet. Amazing. Isaiah, in the Bible, he is one of the great Jewish patriarchal prophets who spoke continually about the coming of Jesus, the coming of the Messiah, the chosen one of God, that the Jewish people were longing for. Every family talked about it. Every teacher talked about it. Every prophet spoke about it. And often Isaiah is referred to as the fifth gospel. So the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, if you're a visitor here today and you're not used to the whole Christian thing, it's basically four accounts of the same events, the life and times of Jesus. But people often describe Isaiah as the fifth gospel because it is literally full of Jesus, even though it was written and penned thousands of years before Jesus arrived. But this is what Isaiah said. This is Isaiah 6 and verse 1. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, seated on the throne. Isaiah marked the death of the king, the passing of the king, but he was gripped by a revelation of a greater king, the eternal king, the king who is above every earthly monarch. We have truly lived through some of the most remarkable days in a generation, days that will be talked about for many years to come. But these are also days of great struggle, aren't they, for so many people. People are terrified of what is to come, the cost of living, crisis, some of the very, in my opinion, strange political decisions that are being made in our days. People are wondering and worrying and thinking about what life is going to look like through this long, hard winter that we are being told is coming. Jesus following Bible-believing, God-fearing people in our nation are starting to speak of a revival, of a great awakening, a mass turning back to God. I pray it happens. People who are turning their lives over to God, realizing that they are made for purpose, that they're not just a number on a council tax register. People are starting to understand and connect with this idea, this truth that they are deeply and profoundly loved by God. 
And many of them are here. I talked about some of you guys sitting at the back. Some of your lives that have been turned around in recent times. It's just been a wonderful thing to be a part of for me. It's an absolute honor to be a part of that. And I'm seeing it everywhere. People coming to Christ from a non-religious background. People hearing of this God who stopped at nothing to reconcile us to himself. And what you're going to witness today is the stuff that revival is made of. Revival in people's lives. The stories that are being written in the lives of people who are turning the control of their lives over to the God who designed and made them, who knows them best. It is the most sensible thing that you could do with your life. To place it in the hands of the God who made you. People say to me often, well, how can you prove that God exists? Well, the bottom line is that I can't. Other than the evidence in my life and the evidence of people that have encountered this God through the power of his son, Jesus Christ. 2,000 years after Jesus died on the cross, he still lives, he still speaks, and he still saves. And the evidence, in fact, the proof that that is true is in the lives of the people that are sitting in this room and across the world. So let me do the second thing that I said I'd like to do this morning. So we captured the moment that we're in, but I want to tell you a short story that illustrates what has happened in the lives of the people that are being baptized today. And, and if you're new here, maybe you're here as a relative or a friend of someone who's being baptized. This is especially for you, because I don't want you to feel that you've just come to a religious meeting that you may or may not understand what's going on. There are things which are happening here which we can connect with, whatever our background. There's a very famous bridge that spans the mighty Kwai River on the border of Thailand and what is now Myanmar, but was Burma. And during the Second World War, 65,000 prisoners of war that had been captured by the Japanese and forcibly recruited laborers died in the construction of the bridge that went over the Kwai River, and parts of it are still there today. They were also involved in the construction of what became known as the Death Railway that ran to Burma. The bridge footings either side of the river were cut into the rock faces, and the prisoners had to lower themselves down on ropes down the sheer rock faces to bore horizontally into the cliff face to insert a dynamite charge. And then they had to light the fuse and then scurry up the ropes as quick as they can before the charge went off. Once the fuse was burning, it was a race against time and thousands of them failed to get far enough before the charges detonated and they never stood a chance. And those charges were inserted into the rock face in order to create the footings and the secure um, mounting points for the bridge. People visit that bridge all the time from all over the world to remember those who died and to stand on a bridge that was built at tremendous cost. These are the words of Jesus in John's Gospel 14 and verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the bridge to life. He is the means by which we can cross the great divide, the chasm that exists between us on one side and God on the other. Why is that chasm there? That chasm is there because of what the Bible calls sin. And it is the things that we do in thought, word, and action that separate us from a God who has no sin. And so the chasm exists and the great divide is there, never to be crossed. Fallen men and women separated from a God who created them because of our rebellion and our rejection and our independence. And you can read the story in the very first pages of the Bible, but it is a story that has been reenacted through the generations. And today, there is still an enmity between us and God, apart from the fact that God stepped into that problem. Jesus Christ came as the spotless example of what human life could and should have been like. Devoid of sin, without the imperfections that blight our lives today. The problems that stick to us like mud. The things that we carry around in heavy suitcases that define our lives and stop us being free. That is the human struggle through this life. But Jesus didn't have any of that going on. Jesus lived in perfect relationship with his Father. He lived that we might have a template to what life in God's presence could look like. But that's not the only thing he came to do. Jesus also came to die on a Roman cross. And the shadow of that cross was, upon, was being cast over everything that he did. The conversations, the miracles, the stories that he told among the people. The cross was what it was all about. Jesus was a man born to die. And as Jesus died on the cross, he opened up the access route for each one of us to get back to God. That's why Jesus is the issue. Jesus is the centerpiece to this whole thing we call Christianity. Some people say to me, Jesus was just a good man. He wasn't. Jesus just loved people. Yes, he did, but that's not all he did. There's one particular moment where Jesus entered the city of Jerusalem to create what would become the final confrontation with the religious leaders who hated him because he was tampering with their system. He was actually saying God is for all people, not just people with a certain type of background. And the system didn't like what Jesus was doing. And Jesus entered Jerusalem at the one time of the year, Passover, the highest Jewish festival. Not really the actions of somebody who was trying to stay out of the public eye. And very shortly after he entered Jerusalem, he went into the temple, the great temple, the centerpiece of this religious system that was deeply corrupt. And he went into, you can read all about it, we read, he went into the temple with what can only be described as a whip. And he turned over the tables of the money men and the traders. Why did he do that? Why? Because they were benefiting from the very people that Jesus was trying to reach. 
the underprivileged, the pushed around, the poor. They were selling religion to people who couldn't afford to buy it. See, Jesus was about a whole different system. He demonstrated through his life that God is on the side of the poor and the broken. God is on the side of the struggling and the hurting. God is on the side of the bereaved and the displaced. His whole life was about that. But it climaxed at the cross. Back to the bridge in Thailand. During the summer of 1943, the Japanese soldiers who were responsible for the work parties that were building the bridge were having a few problems, to say the least. There was a lot of escape attempts, and some of them were very successful. And so they decided that they had to secure the perimeter of this camp because that's what was causing the problem. The, the, the fence was being breached. And so they had to make sure that every piece of equipment that went out onto the bridge and the construction site with the work parties was accounted for when they came back. And there was one particular day when a team of 50 guys came back and all the equipment was put in a pile and the guy who was responsible for counting it up found that there was 49 and not 50 pieces of equipment. There was a pickaxe that was missing. The 50 men were summoned and they were lined up and they were told in no uncertain terms terms, that every one of them would be executed unless the man responsible stepped forward with the missing pickaxe. The firing squad were lined up because nobody stepped forward and they were told to load and get ready to fire. At the last moment, a man stepped forward and he said, I'm the man that you're looking for. He was instantly shot. A later recount of the equipment found that the pickaxe was not missing after all. There were 50 tools in that pile. The guy had miscounted. That guy had sacrificed his life as an innocent man in order to save everybody else. Well, it makes perfect mathematical sense, doesn't it? One life for many lives. It's not rocket science, is it? Very simple until the person matters. Till it's personal. Because he was somebody's son, for sure. Put yourself in the shoes of the parents for a moment. Put yourself, put yourself in God's shoes. You see, Christians love and serve a God who has lost a son. Who gave a son in order that the penalty could be settled and the ransom could be paid. But Jesus didn't stay dead. And C.S. Lewis wonderfully illustrates this beautiful event in world history where everyone realized that that death itself could not hold Jesus. He was too powerful. Nobody could take the life of Jesus because he is the immortal son of God. He eternally lives. But Jesus chose to lay down his life as a ransom for many. So a Christian 
is not someone who stands in an orderly queue outside a church in the rain to come in to sing songs with other people that are in the club. A Christian is someone who has said sorry to God for living life like he doesn't exist and he has no claim upon our lives. And has then understood that because of the life, death, resurrection and ascension, the return to heaven that Jesus went through, because of that and that alone, the access route is open for each one of us. There is only one way to God. There are not many ways. There is only one, and that way is called Jesus. And so someone who understands that and personally connects with it is someone then who understands that there is a a flow of forgiveness and regeneration that comes from the cross of Jesus Christ that remaps our lives and gives us what Jesus described as the gift of eternal life. We were not meant to experience death. Death and sin and corruption all came in at the same time. When we were separated, we were wrenched away from a creator. But through Christ, we get reconciled back to God. And then we walk in the footsteps of Jesus... And we become conduits of this incredible gospel, which literally means good news, to other people. The only definition of a Christian that you will ever find in the Bible is someone who has received the forgiveness that comes from Jesus and then powerfully transmits that truth into the lives of other people. And so becoming a Christian is not a, it's not a good idea, it's God's idea. It's the only idea. It is the only solution to the puzzle of life. It's not about being religious. It is about discovering who you truly are and what you were made to be. And then living out that life in relationship with the God of creation who set this whole thing in motion. And to believe that this whole thing is here by a series of accidents is bananas. How any intelligent person can say that there is not a design and a creator is beyond me. I understand that they are, there, are different, there are difficult questions to, uh, to answer. I understand that. And I don't say that as some twee response to all the big questions that exist in the world today. But you are here for a purpose. You are here because of design. And the sooner we can get aligned with the father of that design, the better we're going to live our lives. And society will only be transformed when that happens. Amen. The end. So let me, let me just invite you again to, to this journey that we're going to go on for Fridays, Four, four Tuesdays. How if I came on the right day, wouldn't it? Uh, four Tuesdays at least. Here, 7.30 on Tuesday. You can find these at the connect points, which are all over the venue. We would absolutely love to see you. God bless you all.